multiple repetitions of as the Lord had commanded Moses. Anybody notice that? Got a bit much um, as we read, didn't it? But it is so important that those are there because what this is really stating categorically is that Moses obeyed God absolutely. If you remember, um, when Moses goes up to get the, the, the law, when goes, Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments, God talks to him for a long time. They spend quite a time together talking. And part of that talking was God giving very specific and direct instructions to Moses about literally every single aspect of the tabernacle. Everything is designed, everything is measured, everything is clear. And what, what the scripture is saying when it keeps saying, um, as the Lord commanded, is saying that Moses didn't cut corners. Moses didn't try and save some money. He most certainly did not look at some of these designs and think, you know what, I've got way better ideas than God. I think we should do this and do that, and let's put a mermaid in for fun. Um, he did nothing of that sort. He literally obeyed every God had commanded him. And because of that, as soon as the work was finished, what happened? The cloud covered the tabernacle, and the fire filled it and sent into the tabernacle because it was so dense and so thick and so powerful. Even the glory that Moses was used to was astronomically increased, and he couldn't enter in. Physical, tangible, visible presence of God that rested over the tabernacle, and that word is Shekinah. And the word itself means that which dwells. It also means to dwell or to reside later in the temple of Solomon. And this is really incredible. Because when Moses went up the mountain, we call that a visitation. It was temporary. Visitation to habitation. In fact, Eugene Peterson says that in this moment, God moved into the, into the neighborhood. Now imagine if God moved into your neighborhood. Imagine waking up, get your cup of coffee and your piece of toast, and you go up to your door, and what do you see? The visible, tangible presence of God. Imagine living in that neighborhood, because as you go about, how amazing is that? Now, you have gone through the book of Exodus. <laughs> how human are the Israelites? Okay, let's get really honest. How are and so the question we've got to ask is, why would God, this awesome, amazing, holy God, choose to live with a sinful, fallen, broken people? In fact, by this point, read the passage where while Moses is up on the mountain and they're seeing flashings and lightnings and hearing rumblings, after a little while, they get confused and they think Moses isn't coming back. I mean, they've just forgot all the ten plagues through the Red Sea. And what do they do? They create a golden calf, and they worship it as if it is God. So to God, what literally, wh when they did that, what literally happened was, is it's like a few people die. Quite a few people, in fact. I think about 3,000 or so, or 300. I can't remember exactly. Somebody who was here during the series, you can tell me as we go. But in any case, there's some retribution. Chapter 34, God does something amazing. They have broken their vow. They have committed spiritual adultery. And what does God do? He comes back and he renews his vows to them. He's to anger towards them and that he will be faithful to them. And what God is doing in that moment is that God is declaring who he is to them. God is declaring to them of who he is, that he is faithful and steadfast and that they are his people. And so here we see God literally dwelling among his people. Why would you do that? Why would you literally put your manifest presence 
into this broken, fallen camp of people? And there really is a simple answer. God chooses to do it this way so that the Israelites will know who they are and where they are going. Okay. So, who they are around them. Remember, every, uh, everywhere else was idol idolatrous. And so, yes, there must have been some supernatural power there. But there was not another nation who would point to their temple and say, look at our living God. In some of the, the places I've hung out, um, it's almost like there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and then the presence. <laughs> and it's almost like this fourth entity. That's what that word means, the face. So now let's think about it. What is that word telling us? It's God. The presence is God. It's His presence. Okay, we can get a bit confused, but that's a manifestation of his glory. It's him doing it. Okay, and so when we're seeking the presence of God, we are just seeking God. And today, 2020, um, the word of God carries his presence. It is the living word of God. If you want to truly follow the presence and the desire, it's the living word of God. And so if you want his presence, you've got to be in the word. And then we, we follow the Holy Spirit. We move in the gifts of the Spirit. We trust the Holy Spirit. And here's the beautiful, and make it practical and applicable to your lives. And when you seek the Holy Spirit, you will find the glory of God. And so this is the presence as we speak, because we're going to use the word, the presence of God showing up in the Bible in different ways. You can all think now of your favorite encounter with God in the Bible. But when we see God manifesting in this tangible way to people, the people he is manifesting, um, <laughs> what we often see is them falling to the ground and trembling and shaking in fear. Now, you can go and test me, but every uh, manifestation of a vision of do not be afraid. Why is the angel saying that? It's not a normal greeting. Anywhere else in the world, there's no language when you're learning how to say hello that says broken human being is literally terrified at that moment. And so these kind of encounters shock the consciousness. And they absolutely to us. And this is why they're terrified. Because we are, we are not holy. We are sanctified through Jesus Christ. But in and of ourselves, we are not holy. And so when holiness himself manifests in front of us, we suffer my journey of receiving God's love. Because every time I went into God's presence, every time I stood before his face, I would be so convicted. And I started thinking that God was shouting at me. I started me feel bad. And so guess what? I didn't want to push in. Eventually, what I realized is when you stand in absolute light, whatever is of darkness of yourself gets exposed. God isn't doing anything. Heal it and deal with it. And so God is not nasty. God is not angry. God is not upset with any one of us. But if we're going to go stand before his face, we are going to be affected. This is Revelation 1 verse 17, where John, who was called the beloved, who was the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest, when he sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, the glorified Jesus walking amazing stuff might, might happen during our encounter with God, we have to make sure that we walk away with two things. Firstly, that we walk away with a clearer identity, that we walk away with a clearer purpose to walk away with a clearer understanding of what we are doing in God, what he is calling us to do. 
And so there are two theological terms that help us understand, and uh, respectively they mean the image of God, the imago Dei, and the mission of God, the missio Dei. So let's look at the imago Dei. So while you keep all the COVID out, maybe you're going to have to shout across the space, who are you? (laughs) So who are you? Okay, that's quite a massive question, isn't it? You know what we do in our society? We give our question, given that is, who has told you who you are? (laughs) Where do you get your idea of your identity from? Is it derived from where you grew up or who you grew up with? Is it derived and be helpful in your identity? But what we have to discuss today is that there are many spaces that are informing our own identities that are sinful and are not helpful. Okay. So, I think the best way to describe identity like the, would be the truth that I live from. The truth I believe. Live and form our identity around truth. Unfortunately, what happens for most of us is that we actually identify ourselves by the lies we believe about ourselves. And so we believe lies, and then we live like the lie is true. If you have ever believed a lie, you lived like it was true, didn't you? A lie believed literally becomes the truth I live from. Um, Yes, and you believed it was true, and you lived like it was true. And then when you found out it was a lie, what happened? Devastation, some varying degree of devastation. Because and our abilities and our accolades and our influence and both of these are fake identities. The one is denigrating, self-denigrating. The other one is self-aggrandizing. And they're both lies. Or do we define ourselves by what other people say about us? By what other people think about us? Because then we're just simply building an identity based on man-pleasing. And the truth for all of us, um, even the most arrogant people, they have moments of self-denigration, and even the most self-denigrating people will have moments of self-aggrandizing. It's just how we go. The good news, after all of that, the Bible helps us know who we are. <laughs> you see, when God's presence comes into your life, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he points you back to the immortality different from every other nation around them, and they knew they were different because of their God. See, he reminds you who you are. And who are you? Well, you are an image bearer. Today, we bear him in our hearts and in our lives. You bear the image of God. You bear the image of Yahweh. Just think about that for a minute. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his millencies. You get to testify of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, a man called N.T. Wright gives, so I brought my mirror along today. So, um, as we know, in Genesis, when God creates man, he makes him completely unique from any other bit of his creation. Man in his own image. Both men and women, both male and female, carry the likeness of God. It was created into them. So <laughs> I was laughing about this as I, s- I actually as I was sitting in quite Zen and sort of Eastern religion-y. And I was laughing about the fact that I wonder how many Westerners were wandering around the Himalayas and then were not prepared for how freezing it was and lost a toe or, or a few toes. The thing to go find yourself. And the whole idea of it was that you look inside yourself 
and you analyze and you assess and then you come up with your true reality. And I think today when we talk about identity, there's almost this pressure of, okay, I've got to look inside and see what I'm about. It's just analyzing ourselves and then we're trying to make decisions about what I let out, what I hide, what is good, what is bad, and all I'm doing is just making another fake identity for myself. Is the Bible suggesting that to us? Well, remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. Even with them carrying the image of God, they sinned, didn't they? And what sin did was cause internal brokenness. Of course, there is some awesomeness too, because yes, we do carry the image of God. Every person on this planet does. And we see that people are amazing. During lockdown, I watched more Instagram and YouTube than anybody ever. People are amazing. What people are, people are capable, with or without him, is incredible. That's how generous God is. But there is brokenness and fallenness and sinfulness. And, uh, when we and we will always try and excuse our own brokenness. I mean, let's just be really honest here today. It's way easier to discern brokenness in the person next to you than it is to see it in yourself. You know, Jeremiah 17, souls deceive us. And it's really hard for us to be aware of what is really going on inside of us. But there is one who is never deceived. And you carry his image. And so he helps you all your beautiful faces behind your masks as I do that. And so the idea is not to have the mirror facing flush on you, but rather to skew it towards God. So look at God, you will realize that our identity is hidden in him. That all our value and dignity and self-worth is found in him as less than is not in agreement with the Imago Dei. And this is the concept of sin, isn't it? Something less, less than he is to make us less than we are. This is the issue of sin. All temptation is based on this one thing, to skew the mirror so you can see another image defined by that image. You know, whatever image we gaze on longingly, will begin to give us our sense of self-worth and identity, whether that be self-denigrating or self-aggrandizing. An access easier than I can access God that gives me something. The problem with idolatry is it works a little bit. The golden calf comforted them a little bit. There were things that allowed them. To we have to learn how to push past our issues, past that stuff, and find what we need in God. Because whatever we look at longingly will define us. And we can say that we glory pictures up and you realize your idol melts in front of you and you get really scared. But then you remember there's actually a loving father and a friend right behind that. And he wants me. Convincing is a lie from the enemy and we must skew our mirror back to God to remind us who defines us. And then secondly, the missio day, the mission of God. We clarify who we are the presence of God clarifies where we are going. So to go back to the passage we read, Exodus 40, 36 to 37, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken and not set out till the day that it was taken out. So I'm sure in, as you were going through, through Exodus, you, you heard about the fact that every last thing about the camp was ordered, the of the camp, and then every tribe had their position around the tabernacle. Um, and so they would camp. Everything was a camp. This, this, the tabernacle was fully portable. It could be broken down and carried off, okay? Because they didn't want to be left behind. Um, and so, as I say, within the camp, 
the tabernacle moved right in the middle. But when they moved, there was also an order they all had to move in. And I can't remember, I should have looked it up, but I think Judah was the first tribe that went through, which is praise. Prophetically, each tribe comes, and then right in the middle as they're moving, we find the tabernacle again. And right in the middle of that, the Ark of the Covenant. And that's the earthly throne of God. That's the presence of God. So the cloud lifted. The Levites would start breaking down that tabernacle. They'd get it ready. The whole camp would start breaking down, and they would move into their formation, and they would go. And when that cloud stopped, this was the new space they had to set up camp, and they would just set up camp. So to follow the presence of God is going to require that we spend time searching the Scripture, allowing the Holy Spirit to enliven it to our hearts so that our faith and our trust will be fully engaged with what God has said. And this is so important for us as Christians, to engage with God. Okay? Now, most of us vacillate a little bit in pushing into God. But the problem is when we don't realize that we have not fully engaged with the trust, with trust or with faith. Because what happens then is we kind of start treating God like a politician. Okay. Promises they made. We actually looked up what they stood for. And we heard promises they were going to make and what they were going to do to make everything a million times better. And then when it comes time to vote, we look back and we go, okay, well, what promises did they fulfill? How did, how, what's their track record? How did they do? And then we decide whether we're going to okay? And if they did really badly, we decide not to. And if they do really well, we decide to. But this is how we come to God sometimes. We come to God and we say, prove yourself to me. Canvas me. God, Pastor. <laughs> I mean, I understand. But I have been a Christian for 33 years now. That's how old I am. And what I have discovered, an ounce of inclination to have to prove hi himself to me. He's told me who I am, I mean who he is, and I know it. And so God does not play that game. He is the, the I am. He's the only one who identifies. He's the only one who defines. If he says, I am a healer, I am the Lord who heals you, and you never see anybody healed, he is still a healer manifest eventually. And so God does not play that game. But what God does do is that he fulfills his promises. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is the only reason that we can follow him, yeah. no matter where he goes, is that throughout scripture there are promises that God keeps making and fulfilling, making and fulfilling, that literally lead up to the manifestation, incarnation of Jesus Christ in human flesh, Emmanuel. But then those promises go even beyond that. Because there are promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus, but there are promises that are this is the final amen. Let it be. And so we can trust God. And I think it's really good in our lives to have testimonies. Have you written out your testimony? Throughout the Old Testament, we see them building altars every time God did something amazing. And then they call it, you know, the God who did this, the God who did this. Because every time they walk past it, whatever was happening in their life right now, they remember rain. And so we have to go through and see the promises that are fulfilled in our lives. Because God's timing is not ours. I, I, I was preaching our Christmas service uh, sermon last Adam. <laughs> and then he kept on and kept on and kept on. And by the time Jesus arrived in the state, Israel was in under complete, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, in the fullness of time. It's a beautiful word. We hate it. <laughs> we want it in my time. But God knows the best times. And so the people of Israel are to... And so the idea of the Mishio Day is important because we have this idea that the church is, has a mission. But actually, God has a mission. 
He's had it all along. He's not just trying to get his church to the promised land, but he is ultimately trying to bring through them a redemption for all humankind. The tabernacle is literally symbolic and speaks to the redemption of mankind through Jesus Christ. He is trying to bring through them a space where the kingdom of heaven will combine with earth and create a new heaven and a new... When we look at the Bible, we can see that the mission of God is directly related to the presence of God. Because if we are not going where God is going, we will not be walking in his presence. It would, if we are not go there because of Jesus... But as we go, we are in a mission to see redemption come to all human life. And this is why we show and we tell we are people of God because we are his image bearers. But we also have to declare the gospel through the word of God and through our testimonies. This is why testimonies are important. And so by doing life, work, family, relationships, church, entertainment, whatever we are doing, we are demonstrating how the image bearers of God do these things on mission with God. And in all these areas, we expect that God is leading us by his presence to fulfill the mission that he has called us to. And yet, can we all just be really human and honest here? Did counsel in church or because people feel like they've let God down? <laughs> because of sin in their life, because they feel like they've made bad decisions, whatever it is. And we all feel like we've let God down. Our consciousness, the mission of God, costs us. And it costs us everything because the presence of God <laughs> sometimes takes us to places we do not want to go. Who's figured out that God's a lot? <laughs> yeah, I've realized that. Sometimes God takes us through things we would really rather not experience. Mostly that's dealing with our own heart. You know, we just want to work. But Matthew says in 16, uh, sorry, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now let's go right back to the beginning. You see, unlike Moses, if God gave us the instructions for the tabernacle, we might feel very inclined that there has to be a mermaid at the pool. Otherwise, it's just not going to look what I'm saying. If we're going to follow the presence, you see, he is God. This is how he defines us. The, that cloud, that fire, it, they also, it had practical aspects in the, when they might have even been misty. So it sort of moistened them as they went. That fire by night in a desert, it's freezing, gave them warmth. It also scared off wild animals and enemies. I mean, who's going to attack a camp where there's a pillar? You can't just take the benefits and go, oh, this is nice, and I'll have this ice cream and that, or I'll, I'll walk in the mist. But as soon as it goes and I'm not ready, I'm going to just stay here. Because that's the only choice we have. Either we move with the presence or we don't. If the presence, presence. It's as simple as that. And so we have to surrender our souls. And if we don't surrender our souls, what's going to happen is we're going to find a thousand. So he fought the presence the whole way. God dragged him there. But God might not do that with us because God wants our faith. He wants us to choose him. He wants us to believe who he is and, and work with him. And so to sum it all up, as Israel followed God, he took them, reminded them. Sometimes we forget who we are. God will remind us. They encountered enemies, and God led them into the battle and fought for them. They had to go into battle, but, <laughs> but then he fights for us. For as long as we are following the cloud, it doesn't matter what is happening around us. For as long as we are following the glory, we know where we are going to the new heaven and the new earth. And so 
the Imago Dei and the Missio Dei, the image of God and the mission of God. And I just really felt today that we needed to do some personal business with God. So where you are, why don't you just close your eyes just so that you're not distracted. And I want you just to reflect on your own hearts. Holy Spirit, would you just come and help us to reflect? Where are we in our identity? How are we doing with the Imago Dei? Where are we drawing our identity? Where is our mirror skewed to? Maybe you need to skew your mirror back to God. And God, as we hold our identity before you right now, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you just come and help us? Show us who you are again, Lord God. Show us the cloud. Show us the pillar of fire. Show us who you are living in our hearts. And just do some business with God. I'm going to give you a minute. So now take a moment and think about how you're doing with the mission of God, the Missio Dei. Are you, f- are you following the presence? Are you letting him lead you and guide you? You don't want to go, so you're running away. How surrendered is your soul to what he wants to do? How surrendered is your soul to the, the demonstration and the proclamation of the gospel? Would you come and speak wisdom and insight, Lord God? Would you help us, Lord? to sacrifice our souls to you, Lord God, to submit our souls to you. God, we give you permission. You are our God. You are the one, and we will follow hard after you. Help us, Lord.